Welcome to the Thrive Church weekly message. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and we hope that it blesses you. For any more information on this sermon or any additional resources, visit us at thrivechurch.co.nz. I mean a high five and take your seat. Uh, It's great to be with you. Thank you, Pastor Glenn and Deb, for the opportunity to be again in this great church. And it is a great church. I like this service because it makes me feel at home. It was a bit more noisy than the early service. Early service was a little bit quiet. So some of you need to come along and just kind of throw something at some of the people and whatever. (laughs) That's great. A minute ago, Pastor Glenn was talking about your big give offering and saying that if you're choosing between one or the other in terms of tithing and giving in your big give offering, that you should begin to consistently bring your tithes and offerings. And it's not about paying the bills, it's about sowing into a vision. But I want to say something else to it. Just get over yourself and give into both. You know, just kind of get on board, you know. And, uh, you know, my wife and I, we've, we've lived for uh, going on to 23 years now without any regular form of income and travelled extensively. And often in the mission situations, I was in Africa was it two or three years ago now? It cost me about between ten, twelve thousand dollars to go over there, sponsor some pastors' conferences and things like that. I can never remember having an overdue bill as far back as I can remember. I can never remember having things unpaid. I uh, I often have a credit card that is ten or twelve thousand dollars with travel and expenses and so on. And that's paid out automatically every month, totally. And often we can... My wife used to look at the bank account a week or 10 days out from the credit card being due and go, you know, there's only three or $4,000 in the bank and we've got nine or $10,000 or whatever it is on the credit card. And I would just say to her, don't look at it. It'll be there. It always has been there. But we have learnt to be generous with God and generous with others. And uh, what I find is a lot of people, they just don't get it. And uh, you, you've got you've to learn to live by faith, not by sight. Prosperity has nothing to do with what's in the bank or what's in your wallet. It's about what's in your heart and in your head. And when you start walking in God's ways, and how many know God's generous? He's, he's generous, see. So when you start to, to embrace his nature and, and determine that you're going to walk in that, it's amazing how things shift. And it's amazing, like I've been around a long time, and so I can look back over years of his faithfulness. And, and we, we've, we've done some crazy things, and I'm not suggesting that, and I'm not boasting, I'm just boasting in the goodness of God. That's, that's where my boast is. 
you know. But when it says that he will meet your needs according to his riches and glory, I want you to notice it doesn't say he'll meet your needs out of his riches and glory, but according to. How many know if you've got a very wealthy father and he looks after you according to his wealth, you're going to live pretty well. If you've got a poor father and he looks according, looks after you according to his lack of, you know, his poverty, then you're not going to do so well. Your father looks after you according to what he's got. And our father's got a lot. How many worked that out? <laughs> so so we, we've learned years ago we never make decisions based on money. I refuse to do that. I've tried to make decisions based on what the Lord's saying to us. And um, sometimes that's uncomfortable. God's never late, but sometimes it's the last. Come on, help me, Jesus. When we're tight, I take my wife out for dinner. She says to me, should we be going for dinner now? I say, this is just exactly the time we should be going for dinner. I refuse to come under a spirit of poverty and a mindset. I'm not stupid, but we live very well. And I live on an income that most of you wouldn't believe. But see, it's not about any of that. It's about him. It's about his purposes and about his promises. And if you walk his way, he'll take care of you. It doesn't matter what's going on in your circumstance. He will look after you. If you, look, if you honor him first, he will honor you. If you build his house, he'll build your house. Come on, somebody. Help the preacher this morning. This has got nothing to do with anything, but it's got everything to do with everything. Because <laughs> if you don't get that right... See, people say, I have itinerant preachers say to me, uh, you know, how do you get on for money? How much time do you spend praying about money? I say, well, actually, I don't. I don't pray about money very much at all. I just know God's got, got my back. He's going to look after me. So if I'll do what he wants me to do, he's going he's to pay the bills. See? And the problem was if you don't get that right, all of your, your life, you're struggling with finance. You're struggling to believe God, you're struggling to make ends meet and all of that. But if you get it right, you, you may not instantly have changed, but I can absolutely promise you that you will progressively go from strength to strength. Because the righteous, the righteous are like the rising sun. They go brighter and brighter every day. That's the promise of God to you, see. And so it affects every area of our life. One of the major causes of breakdown in a relationship is financial. The pressure that that brings. Anyway, good morning. <laughs> That's the side salad, the entree before the meal. As I, in the last little while, the last, uh, you know, few weeks really, the Lord has been just uh, impacting my spirit with a phrase out of the end of Genesis 1.28 that says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. And um, of course, it's, it's the original mandate that was given to Adam and Eve. We read about 
about it. Let me just read you a couple of verses from Genesis 1, 27, 28. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. You're made in the image of God. Some of your translations say in the likeness of God. You're like God. There's God-like capacity within you. So in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. And I have an absolute conviction that in the context of the timing of God, that what God was saying to me is that it's harvest time in New Zealand and it's time to become fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and take authority of it. See, basically what, what God was saying to, to Adam and Eve in that and to us is that continue the work of creation. You know, like I've given you gifts and abilities. I've, uh, you have access to my wisdom, to my word, an understanding of my ways. And I want you to take all of that. Take my grace, my anointing, and, and begin now to, to uh, use your creative ability because you're made in the image of God. God is a creator. He doesn't copy. It's the devil that's a counterfeiter. God is an originator. He's a pioneer. He's a creator. And he put that in you. And so, so what he does, he gives us raw material. And he says, now I want you to take your creative ability and make something beautiful out of that. I want you to take this raw material and build something out of it that will magnify my name, that will bring glory to me, that will extend my kingdom. And I often think, you know, as parents, I remember when our daughter was born and you know, you come home with this funny little smelly thing and, and you know, you, you don't get an instruction manual. So you've got raw material. And now so you've got to lean into God for His wisdom and understanding and, and so that you can begin to now form and create and develop this, this human being so that she becomes a woman of God who will extend the purpose of God. Actually, Malachi 2.15 says the purpose that God brought marriage into the earth was that the earth might be filled with godly offspring. See, he, he wants offspring out of every union. And so he wants spiritual offspring out of your union with him. See, and, uh, and, uh, and so he comes and, you know, in the middle of all of that, he, um, he gives us the brokenness of our community. As a church, he gives you the brokenness of your community. Don't you love it when your technology doesn't work? Help me, Jesus. All right. And so he, 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 he gives us the brokenness of people, their disillusionment, their disappointment, their loneliness, their, their sickness, their disease, their brokenness, their sin. And he says, look around, here it is now. I, I want you to create something beautiful out of it. I, I want you to extend my kingdom and build something awesome in this community. So he gives us raw material. And so, and so we have to exercise uh, that ability. And I believe there's a call of the Spirit right now where he's looking for people to partner with him in the harvest field, see. 
that Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's, there's few people that actually engage strategically, intentionally, and purposefully in bringing in the harvest. And yet that's the greatest call upon the church today throughout the church age. But we're so busy caught up with whatever we're caught up with. And so, so the Father is still looking over the, over the earth and His heart is moved. Do you know Do you know that the blood of Jesus will never lose its power? There is redemption for every person. Uh, The Bible says in Isaiah that the Father saw the travail, saw the pain, saw what Jesus went through, and the just demands of God were fully met. Fully met. There is no other price for sin. Come on, somebody, aren't you going? There's no other price for sickness and disease. There's no other price for your poverty, for your brokenness, and for your despair and disillusionment. He paid it all to set you free and meet every area of our life and every area of need. And so I sense over the house really I struggle to bring something fresh to birth. And this is what I felt the Lord saying to me. It's not about another season. Seasons come and go, but it's about moving into a different era. And see, when you move into a different era, it's a defining transition. Everything changes. And so so everything's got to be redefined and our paradigms and perspectives have got to shift so that we can embrace something that's totally different in the ongoing purposes with God. How many know in your life there have been defining moments where everything changes? See? And it's the same in church life. It's not just, just well, we're going to adjust a few things. No, no, no. It's like we're, we're making a major transition now to capture the heart of God for, this, for here on in. See? And... Um, Anyway, I want you to come with me to John chapter 15. I don't have a well-structured sermon. I just want to drop a prophetic hand grenade in the middle of the place. Is that okay? Because see, often, often the things of God are not so much about understanding and, and lineal progression. So often they're about catching something. And just feeling something of the impact and inspiration of what the Spirit of God is saying and wanting to do. It's, a, it's about a message rather than a, a full teaching. It's about grabbing something and, and, and letting something shift in the spiritual atmosphere. And so in John 15, and verse 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves, because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Slaves don't know anything. They're just told, do this, do that, do the other. They have no sense of destiny or purpose or understanding of what it's all about. So Jesus makes it very clear that's not the way that we are to live or to operate. He goes on to say, now you're my friends. You're not slaves, you're friends. And I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. 
and I appointed you to go and to produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. And so there, there are three things that I want to draw your attention to. The first is your position. You are chosen. See, you're, you're not like a son or daughter of God. You are a son a daughter of God. He's not like a father to you. He is your father. And out of his foreknowledge, he positioned you to receive the gospel. He chose you because he could see there was something in you that would respond to the love of God. And so out of foreknowledge, he chose you and drew you to himself, but not just so that you could enjoy the blessing that was upon your life. Because you know, friend, you are this morning highly favoured. You're abundantly blessed. You are deeply loved. That's our reality. Come on, turn to somebody and say he's talking to you this morning. Come on, that's you. Chosen son, daughter of God. Highly favored, abundantly blessed. How many know we are blessed today? Come on, somebody. We are blessed. We are deeply loved, see. And um, but uh, so that's our position. But out of that, out of that position, He says, now I want you to understand that you're appointed. And you're appointed to go and invest your life into something that'll last forever. You're appointed to bring forth fruit for eternity, for fruit that'll last forever. There is an appointing over your life. There's a purpose for which you were born. You're not only appointed, you are anointed and you're sent. You are called. You're called sons and daughters of the living God. Come on, somebody help the preacher this morning. And then he brings this promise to us that you're appointed to bring forth fruit that will last forever and Then, this is what it says, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Come on, you could get happy right there. It's like, like as I engage with the purpose of God, I understand what His highest priority is. And as I step into that, it means that I now have access to the heart of the Father for answered prayer. In an amazing promise. And I have to ask the question, I wonder how much our prayers are hindered because we haven't effectively and strategically engaged with His purpose. But lifestyle issues and issues of comfort and other priorities have kind of come in and and distracted us. And, and so often we can be caught up in, in church life and the family and, all, and there's nothing wrong with all of that, but it can get out of priority. How many know what I'm talking about? But he says, no, when you engage with my purposes, see, now you have a different level of access to the Father. Something opens. Something shifts. And... Um, I want to talk to you for a moment or two about the days in which we live. Now, this is very important for us to grasp. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2, says, For God says, At just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. 
Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And so he's actually quoting from Isaiah uh, chapter 49, and he's taking the prophecy of Isaiah, and he's interpreting it, and he's applying it to today. He says, today is the day of salvation. Now, the word today is in a constant present tense. So what he's saying is, today, 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 today is the day, not the 24-hour period, but the period of time from the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus right through to the end of the church age. Today, today is the day of salvation. It's not the day of judgment and condemnation, but the day when the love of God is to be expressed, where people are to encounter His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, His healing, His deliverance, His provision, His protection. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. The Father didn't send me to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. And Paul goes on and he says, don't judge things before the appointed time. There is a day of judgment coming when nations will be judged and people will be judged. But it's not today. God is not judging nations. People are reaping the consequences of the decisions they made, but God is not judging. The day of judgment will come. Today is the day of grace. It's a day of salvation. And, and, you know, the word salvation is not just talking about your sins forgiven and, and, and life in heaven. It's talking about a lifestyle here and now that we, um, we step into eternal life today with all of the benefits of everything that Jesus won for us. And, you know, when I was sitting out the back between the services this morning, I clearly heard the Holy Spirit say to me that there'd be people in the service and you find it difficult to, to draw near to God. So in the worship, that last song we were singing about, you know, when I seek him, I'll find him. And you find that intimidating because you feel shame. The shame on you. And, and it's like guilt has captivated you. And so you want to go there, but you're afraid to go there. And so you become like Adam and Eve. You know, they suddenly realize they're naked, so they hide. Because when we come to him, our nakedness is exposed. Our brokenness is exposed. Our our failure is exposed. Across this auditorium this morning, I'd like you just to close your eyes for a moment and just bow your heads because there's some people here that I want to pray for this morning, and you know that, that that's speaking to you. There's shame on you, and you know that your relationship with the Lord isn't what it once was. It's not where it should be. Or maybe you've never entered into a real relationship with God, and you find that difficult to connect because there's a sense inside of you and you're afraid of rejection. You're afraid that God's going to condemn you. 
He's going to judge you. But see, your judgment fell on Jesus already. He's not, he's not, he absolutely loves you. And he's not, he's not upset by your failure. He doesn't want you to continue in failure. But he's not, he's not, it's not him that's put shame on you. It's not him that's put guilt on you. He wants to break you out of that. And if that's you this morning and you're saying, Kevin, pray for me, I, I just want to break out of this, then just lift your hand. Give me an indication this morning. Come on, right across this. Thank you. Somebody else, come on, lift your hand quickly. I'm not going to draw it out. If that's you, lift up your hand and just say, God, that's me. He's talking to me. He's talking to me. Thank you. Thank you. Right across this auditorium. Father, right now, you so desperately love these people. God, there's not one thing about their lives that would cause you to reject them, to to condemn them, to judge them. And I'm asking right now, I take authority over that shame, that guilt. I take authority over the the darkness that would come against them and hold them captive. And I, I break its hold today in the name of Jesus. And I loose you from shame. I loose you from guilt. In Jesus' name, today, and I release healing to you and forgiveness to you and cleansing to you. In the name of Jesus, I release the love and mercy and grace of God over your life, into your heart, through your life, in Jesus' name. It's not God's intention that you would live with that kind of cloud over your life, that kind of restriction, that kind of limitation. Jesus died to set you free from all of that. And um, I just encourage you, those of you that raised your hand, there's quite a number of you, I just encourage you, go and talk with one of your leaders, your pastors, your cell group leader, whatever, and just get that process right out of you. Amen. Come on, somebody. We've all been there, haven't we? Every one of us have been there where we've felt that guilt and that shame and the devil wants to keep us there. But I know, I mean, the Lord spoke to me clearly about it because the reason he spoke to me is because he loves you. <laughs> See, he doesn't want you like that. He wants you free to to just embrace his love so he can embrace you. You know, when you seek him, you will find him. He will come, you know. And and so it's not a day of judgment um, and and, uh, condemnation. That will come. But see, today we live in the day of grace. Throughout the whole of the church age, it's not about the consequence of sin, although there are consequences for sin, and we need to confess our sin and receive cleansing and receive forgiveness. But it's not about God judging you for your sin because your judgment fell on Jesus. It's about people stepping free from that and being exposed to and encountering the love and the mercy and the grace of God. That's the day in which we live. So Jesus looks out over the multitudes and he says, the harvest is ripe. There's so many people that need the message of the love of God. There's so many people that need to feel the impact of his love. There's so many people that need to be impacted by his forgiveness and his grace and all of those things. And, and, but the laborers are so few. Come with me to John chapter 4. And... Uh, Verse 35, and the setting uh, 
is that Jesus is sitting by the well in Samaria speaking to the Samaritan woman and his disciples have gone into the town to buy food for lunch and they come back and Jesus is talking to this woman and they don't get it. Because in talking to her, he's broken through a number of social norms. And so he's doing something that no Jewish man would do. I love that Jesus was a rule breaker in the right sense. <laughs> and, uh, and so they don't, they don't get it. And so he says this to them. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say to you, wake up and look around. So, so he goes, you guys, you, you're just looking at people from a natural perspective. And you just don't get what's going on. And some of your translations say, lift up your eyes and see. He says, guys, you need to wake up and have a good look. Because the fields are already ripe for harvest and the harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits, both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and that's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work and now you will get to gather the harvest. You know, I... Um, we have a company at home called Specsavers, and I understand they're here in New Zealand, and they have some of these ads on TV. How many of you have seen Specsavers ads? And uh, we got one over there that, of a lifesaver that's on the beach, and he sees something waving in the waves, and he grabs his buoyancy, you know, uh, whatever it is, and, and goes, swims out, and he comes back in with a seal in his arms. You've seen that? Should have gone to Specsavers, you know. And then you got this guy that's got a couple of beautiful little girls that are all dressed up like princesses or fairies or something. And he comes into the house. He says, wow, I've just rebuilt your playhouse, your cubby house, and I've turned it into a fairy princess castle. And the girls go running outside, and they find actually what he's done is renovated the dog kennel. Uh, you should have gone to Specsavers. I think Jesus was saying to his disciples, you need to go to Specsavers. I think he would say to the church, here, you need to go to Specsavers. You're looking through the wrong lenses. You need to look through the correct lenses. You need to look through your spiritual eyes. You need to look through the eyes of prophecy and promise. Because what happens is, is, I think what happens is we, we kind of project harvest and revival into the future. We're always praying about the coming revival, the coming harvest. But actually, you are the revival that the region needs. Come on, you, come on, talk to me. You carry the Holy Ghost. He's in you. His gifts, His anointings are there. The kingdom, uh, Jesus said, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. All of the, the resources of heaven are already contained in what Jesus has done and what the Holy Spirit has released in and through us. And it's not about us calling God down. It's about us releasing God. Come on, letting the river flow. Come on, somebody. And beginning to engage, see. And, uh, 
And so I think the problem is this. A bit like the disciples, they, they're looking and they just can't see it. And so I think the church kind of looks and we say, well, we haven't seen many people come to Christ lately, just the odd one, so it can't be harvested. That's carnal. How many know we're not meant to live by sight? Come on, somebody. You're not meant to live by sight. You're meant to live by faith. So we're meant to see the things of the Spirit, the things of the kingdom, you've got to see them before you see them. You've got to believe them before you receive them. You've got to begin to align yourself and position yourself for the fulfillment of promise before it can be fulfilled. You've got to get in a position. And so he's saying, lift up your eyes and see. You know, the Bible is full of things about a sanctified imagination, visualization. He says to Abraham, you know, your children are going to fill the earth. And Abraham's trying to get his head around it. His wife's barren. They haven't even got one child. And God's saying, you know, you're going to fill the earth. So he takes him out in the desert and he says, look at the stars. See if you can count them. Because every star represents the face of one of your descendants. What's he doing? He's putting a picture on the inside of him. Habakkuk gets up in the, in the prayer tower and he says, I will see what God will say to me. He didn't say, I will hear. He said, I will see. Because the language of the Holy Spirit is imagery. That's why Jesus preached, uh, you know, stories and pictures and painted pictures because he was trying to capture people's imagination. And he wants to capture your imagination today with visions of the, tr of the truth of the prophecies and promises of Scripture and to put a picture on the inside of you that causes you to rise up and begin to believe for it and begin to pray it in and begin to speak to the atmosphere to shift and release an anointing See. <laughs> Because God works by His Word through your mouth. That's where your authority is. See. When you come together, there's authority to bind and to loose. There's a authority to shift atmospheres. And, uh, you know, when we were pastoring in Auckland and then more recently in Melbourne, I didn't understand this really as I do today, uh, but I did understand something about visualization because I could see it in Scripture. You all know the story of Jacob, you know, with the, the, the branches he got and he took part of the bark off and all of this sort of stuff, you know. And so we began to pray into that and begin to visualize it. And I was saying to the earlier service, you know, we'd often, often have people come to Christ before we have got to preach. Because in the atmosphere, you change the atmosphere. So you build an anointing for salvation, for repentance, for deliverance. And then you find, and I, I often, at the end of worship, I've done it so many times, I, hundreds of times, literally, in the middle of worship, around the communion table, just said, there are people here who need to get right with God. I just feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I could feel it in the meeting. 
This is your moment right now. And, and you just get that spontaneous response. And often people don't even know what they're responding to. They just, they just messed up because the Spirit of God, the love of God is impacting them. There's a, there's a shift. And now they just know they've got to, they, they need help. They need God. They need something to come and shift whatever needs to be shifted out of their life. Um, years ago in the, at the end of the 1970s, the Assemblies of God in Australia, their largest churches were around 300. That was as big as anybody had been able to grow a church. And so the uh, movement, the national executive invited um, Dr. Yongi Cho down to speak at their national conference because he was building a church in Korea that was already several thousand people. And uh, they wanted to know, you know, how this was happening. And he began to teach them in this conference about visualization, about you, you get what you go for. You know, often I think we ask God for blessing and he's saying, what kind of blessing? What does it look like? What do you want? See? And... Um, and so he began to teach them how that, you know, you need to see people coming to Christ. You need to believe it. And wait for it to happen. Begin to break it open in the heavens, see. Everything's built, first of all, in the spirit realm. That's released. Because you shift the things that are holding it back. The God of this world that blinds the minds of the unsaved and stops them receiving a revelation of the love of God. You've got to break the hold of that thing, see. So they're now people, they don't know what they're seeing, but they know they need God, you know. <laughs> and so anyway, some of the pastors got a hold of that. And one of the guys that I, I know and love dearly is a man called Andrew Evans. And Andrew came back from Papua New Guinea uh, as a very broken uh, missionary and, uh, and in fact, the church that invited him to pastor them did so because they couldn't find anybody else to pastor them. Nobody else had come. Broken down little church in, in um, Adelaide. And so he went as their pastor. But by the time Cho came, he'd seen some growth. And, uh, and he was on the national executive and, and he'd uh, been instrumental in inviting Cho down. And he tells the story. He's just a pastor. He's not an evangelist. He, he's a very gracious, loving man. And he tells the story how that after that, he began to, every Sunday afternoon, because the evangelistic service was Sunday night. And so in the afternoons, he'd be in the church or in his home, and he'd, he'd just be walking up and down saying, souls, God, give us souls, give us souls. He says while he was praying that and just calling out to God, he would be visualizing people coming to the altar, giving their lives to Christ, giving their lives to Christ. And within a relatively short period of years, he grew the church from where it was a couple of hundred people to 4,000 people, the largest churches in Australia. And when Cho came back two or three years later, there were numbers of churches in the movement in Australia that had tipped through the 1,000, 1,200, 1,500 people. Because there were pastors and leaders that began to understand that you've got to build something in the Spirit. And one of the ways you do it is through seeing. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and see. The harvest ripe. Stop looking at it in the natural. No, 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 see through the eyes of prophecy, through the eyes of promise. 
in um, our home church, which is Planet Shakers in Melbourne, we have this year averaged 283 people committing their lives to Christ every week this year. Now, I don't say that to lift up the name of Planet Shakers. I say that to help you grasp that it is harvest time. And it's not about whether it's, and it is a big church, but it's not about that. It's about positioning yourselves to be harvesters. And see, Planet Shakers in Melbourne, the church was planted a bit over 15 years ago. It's now running 16,000 people, over 16,000 people in Melbourne. And it came, it's come out of a pastor and leadership that are committed to bringing in the harvest. And so we as a church visualize the harvest coming in. We, we pray for that. And so going right back when they started, I don't know where they started, but maybe they were believing for three or five a week or whatever it was. But today we're praying for 300. We were praying for 250 a few months ago. We've tipped through that. 283 so far this year. I think it's 83 or 80 something, 280 something every week committing to Christ. But now we're going for 300. So we're praying as a church, God, give us 300 souls, 300 souls every week, 300 souls every week. And we walk up and down and pray and call out to God and begin to see it. Come on, somebody, come on. And, and you've got to, it's time to begin to do it God's way, see. And so often we think about, well, I've got to be an evangelist and knock on doors and preach on the street corner. But actually what Jesus promised us was a supernatural harvest. He says, you're going to reap a harvest you didn't have to sow. It's not about, oh, I've got to work with my neighbor, one workmate, and I've got to do all this stuff all this period of time. Yeah, you may need to do that, but there's a harvest already ripe. Come on, somebody, because the Bible says that God pours out His Spirit on all flesh. So it's not just flesh in the church, it's flesh everywhere. There are broken people all over this community that have been crying out to God. How many know people pray when things get bad? They do. And he pours out his spirit and so they're thinking things. There are things happening in their heart and in their head that they don't understand. There's stuff going on that they can't work out. But God is preparing a harvest. And Jesus said, a harvest is plentiful, but I'm looking for laborers. I'm looking for people who will catch the vision. People that will make the commitment. People that will stand up and begin to believe me. And begin to look through the eyes of promise and prophecy so that we can bring this harvest in. I believe, I believe right through the church age there's been harvest. But I think because we haven't seen it, we haven't believed it, we haven't been strategic about it, we haven't prioritised it. How many know when the harvest gets ripe and it's not picked, it goes rotten? I, I just wonder how many people were positioned but were never reached that were moved upon but never gathered because the church was busy being the church and not engaging with the purpose of God. The Bible says that He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. It is not the will of God that anybody in this region would go to a lost eternity. The power of Jesus' blood 
is sufficient to cover the sin of every single person. And so, so it's up to us. And I think Holy Spirit is looking for people that will partner with Him. Not necessarily understand it, but understand the ways of God and begin to position themselves to vision, to pray, to prophesy, to speak, so that when people come in here, I tell you, something in the atmosphere begins to move in their heart. I just come back for three months in Geneva and planting a church there. There's only a a small group, a core group, about 100 people at the moment, but we're seeing three to five people commit their lives to Christ every week because we build it in the atmosphere. Just speak over. And this is in a hotel room. We go in a reception area and, and just go walking around and start declaring the presence and the power and the promise of God, the love of God. People walk through these doors. Holy Ghost, you're going to get all over them. We walk up and down, lay hands on the seat, just like Paul, you know, laid his hands on the cloths and aprons and sent them out, lay hands on the seat. Our Holy Spirit impregnate the seat so that as they sit, something begins to stir on the inside of them that they can't understand. And so people come in and they start to cry. I was saying to the earlier service, I was watching a couple, I was preaching up there the other week and there's a couple of girls came in, they're sitting over here and before the music hardly started, they're crying. They don't know why they're crying. They're crying all the time I'm preaching. And when you give them an opportunity, they can't wait to get off their seats to come here. I believe that's what God wants. He wants his carpet worn out by people coming and weeping and and laughing and, and just getting free. Come on, stand with me this morning. Right across this auditorium, I believe God is looking for people that say, Holy Spirit, I will partner with you in bringing in the harvest. I'm going to start looking through different eyes. I'm going to start believing. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start seeing by the eye of faith, people coming to the altar in this church, people coming to Jesus in the youth meetings, in the children's church, in the life groups. People coming to, come to Jesus that you just walk down the street and because you've begun to think about the harvest and pray for the harvest, the love of God begins to flow out of you like a river. And just in a conversation, people start to get unsettled and unnerved because the Spirit of God is moving over them. And Father, look today, if that's you, if you, you may not understand everything and, and, and all of that, but if you're saying, I hear something in the Spirit, I believe God's speaking to us and I want to be part of that. I, I want to say, Jesus, I'll be one of those laborers. I'm going to engage with your ways. I'm going to begin to see and pray and prophesy in a way that I never have before. And I'm going to believe that the very atmosphere around this church and across this community is beginning to shift and people are coming to Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want you to lift your hand and reach out to Him this morning because I believe Holy Spirit wants to release a fresh anointing, a fresh passion, a fresh faith for the harvest in this house this morning. And Father, I'm lifting my hand alongside my brothers and sisters today. And we are crying out to you to help us in our inadequacy, in our weakness, in the things that, God, we just don't know how to move forward. But God, by your Spirit, we believe that you're going to touch us right now. And I just release that fresh 
anointing. I release fresh faith and I speak into the atmosphere over this place that this will be a house of salvation, of deliverance, of God encounters, of the power of God, of restoration in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray that every person in this place, God, that's reaching out to you at this moment, that Father, by your Spirit, just impart something fresh. Her mindsets and old perspectives shift and change right now in Jesus' name. That you would seal this word in our hearts and minds. And God, we wouldn't be people that look through old eyes, but by your grace, you'd give us a new lens to look through the eyes of prophecy and promise. And instead of projecting harvest in the future, we'd be Begin to see it right now, right now, right now in Jesus' name, right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we take authority over the God of this world that would blind the minds and eyes of people across this community. And we speak in the spirit realm to those marked for salvation to come out from the north and the south and the east and the west in Jesus' name. Come out and be saved in the name of Jesus. Be delivered in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be set free in Jesus' name. We call in the backsliders this morning in the name of Jesus. And we say, come home to the Father's house in Jesus' name to a place of love and acceptance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. Give him some thanks in this place this morning. Give him some praise. For any more information on this sermon or any additional resources, visit us at thrivechurch.co.nz.